0: How many have ever experienced change in your life? Anybody at all? Don't you love change? Mary, don't you love change? No? Just just change? Change in general? Like coin change or? Okay, any change. Um, how many have experienced change since you were a kid? What are some of the changes you've experienced since you were a kid, Kevin? Oh, good. He used to not be able to have dogs and now he can. Congratulations. What else? What else? There's a reason for this. I'm going to read about some changes in the past 500 years. Anybody else experience change from when you were a kid? Want to share about it? No? Yes, Jason? Job and bills. Yes. Don't you love them both? (laughs) Oh, man. Anyway, our world has experienced a lot of change. We're going to be looking at the glory of the new Jerusalem tonight. We're here here in uh, Revelation chapter 21. Just two chapters left. There's so much in here. Uh, we're outside. It actually feels pretty nice right here under the shade, so hopefully you guys are enjoying it. Um, but our world has changed a lot over the past 500 years, and I came across this and thought it was kind of fitting with the, the lesson tonight. Uh, most of us cannot really imagine just how different things were depending on, or versus how they are today. So here are some interesting things that I read concerning the 1500s and where some of our sayings came from. Most people back then got married in June because they took their yearly bath in May and still smelled pretty good by June. Hence the popularity of June weddings. However, they were starting to smell, so brides carried a bouquet of flowers to hide the body odor. Again, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's pretty, pretty funny. Baths consisted of a big tub filled with hot water. The man of the house had the privilege of going first and enjoying the nice, clean water. Then came all the sons and the other men, then the women, and finally the children. Last of all, the babies. By then, the water was so dirty you could actually lose someone in the water. Hence the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Most houses had thatched roofs thick straw piled high with no wood underneath it was the only place for animals to get warm so all of the dogs cats and other small animals mice rats bugs included lived inside the roof when it rained it became very slippery and sometimes the animals would slip and fall off or out of the roof hence the saying it's raining cats and dogs however there was nothing to stop things from falling into the house This posed a real problem in the bedroom where bugs and other droppings could really mess up your nice clean bed. Hence, a bed with big posts and a sheet hung over the top afforded some protection. That's how canopy beds came into existence. The floor was dirt. Only the wealthy had something other than dirt, hence the saying, dirt poor. Most people had little meat, but sometimes they could obtain pork, which made them feel special. When visitors came over, they would hang up their bacon to show off. It was a sign of wealth that a man could say that he brought home the bacon. They would cut off a little to share with the guests and would all sit around and, anybody know? Chew the fat, exactly. Lead cups were used to drink ale or whiskey. The combination would sometimes knock people out for a short time. This one's pretty funny. Someone walking along the road would take them for dead and prepare them for burial. They were laid out on a kitchen table for a couple of days, and the family would gather around and eat and drink and wait to see if they would wake up. Hence the custom of holding a wake. Just imagine that. Just Let's go ahead and put this body on the table. Hopefully they wake up. If not, I guess we'll bury them. <laughs> England is an old country and not very large. They started running out of places to bury people, so they would dig up coffins and take the bones to a bone house and reuse the grave. When reopening those coffins, one out of 25 coffins was found to have scratch marks on the inside, (laughs) and they realized they were burying people alive, so they thought they would tie a string on the wrist of a corpse, (laughs) lead it through the coffin, and up to the ground and tie it to a bell. Someone would have to sit out in the graveyard all night, the graveyard shift, to listen for the bell. Thus, someone could be saved by the bell or was considered a dead ringer. We've come a long way in 500 years. It's pretty crazy. Uh, Things have changed quite a bit, but the point I was making is all of these changes that we have experienced pale in comparison to the changes we will experience in the New Jerusalem. And I'm excited about this study. There's so much in here to cover, so I'm going to try my best to... Hurry through without rushing as fast as I can. So Revelation chapter 21, let's go ahead and start in verse number 9 tonight. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 9. We'll read some of these verses, then we'll kind of walk through it. Uh, There it is. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, this is John, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to the great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. So what we're going to look at tonight is really some of these characteristics of this great city and had a great or had a had a wall great and high and twelve gates and Uh, Twelve angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, a measuring stick. And the gates thereof, and the wall thereof, and the city lieth four square." And the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are all equal. And he measured the wall thereof in hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of man, and that is of the angel. And the building of the wall is of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass, And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, chalcedonian, the fourth an emerald. Just the amazing beauty that is pictured here. The fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth a a chrysoprasphorus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls every several gate was one was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold and it were as as if it were a transparent glass and I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it and the city hath no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it and the Lamb is the light thereof and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the, the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, and the last time we met we talked about some things that will not be in heaven, or maketh a lie, but They which are written in the Lamb's pure book of life. And then just a couple more verses in chapter 22, and then we'll stop and then dig in. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruit and yielded the fruit every month. So one fruit per month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and um, his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no more night there, and there uh, no, no need of a candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now again, we're talking about the new Jerusalem and, and heaven, and really what this this heaven is all about. Now again, John can't fully describe just how beautiful heaven truly is, just how beautiful this new Jerusalem truly is. And I think I shared last time that I think many of us sometimes, or at least myself, and I know as I've read, other people have had this same idea that it seems like sometimes we get the idea that eternity is just this never-ending church service in the sky. Um, I've had that thought. I know others have had that thought. But that's not what heaven is all about. Now, yes, we're going to be there and worshiping around the throne of Jesus, but there is so much more to heaven than possibly can be described and possibly can be imagined. Now, I, I want you to, to, to imagine some things tonight before we really dive into this. Think about the times in your life that you have—we well, all like food. Think about the times in your life that you have tasted something amazing. How many are thinking of a time? Just so amazing. Amazing. It's almost hard to put it into words, isn't it? You're trying to describe that taste to someone and you're describing it, and you're like it's 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 like uh, you can't even get the words out, right? You know what I'm talking about? How many have ever gone somewhere and it's the same thing the The beauty was so amazing, you even take pictures and you look at the pictures later, and you're like it doesn't even do it justice, right, David? Uh, we're probably on your trip there, yeah, like it was so much more beautiful than that picture. Uh, You know, pictures are great, and and describing things are great, but heaven really in the New Jerusalem is indescribable. Uh, When Marco Polo, not the app, but the explorer, when Marco Polo returned from Italy uh, to the court of Kublai Khan, he described the world his audience had never seen, one that could not be understood with the eyes of imagination. Not that China was an imaginary realm, but it was very different from Italy. Yet as the two locations on planet Earth inhabited by human beings, they had much in common. The reference point of Italy allowed a basis for understanding of China and the differences could be spelled out there. So again, there's so much what the point I'm trying to make is there's 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 so much beauty in heaven that we can't even understand, can't even describe. And I very quickly, I want you to again use your imagination tonight. This earth as we know it is a very beautiful place, isn't it? I mean, how many have been to some amazing places on this earth? around the state of Texas or around the United States or outside this country, there are some amazing places in our state, in our country, in our world. Again, breathtaking. I remember, I know you guys got from back, back back from Yellowstone. When we went to Yellowstone, just amazing, breathtaking views. Same thing was when I went to the Grand Canyon and some of the the mountainous peaks that I've been to in our country. You can't even describe some of the places that you've been. But the earth as we know it, as beautiful as a place as it is, it's still tainted. And what I mean is that it's tainted by what? By sin. So I think my wife, when my wife and I were, I think it was Yellowstone, wasn't it, Amanda? When we were looking at one of the, you remember what it was? Artist Point. Yeah. Artist Point. And again, it was truly an artistic point where, again, people have painted it and it's just, it, the beauty is beyond imagination. And she made the comment that as beautiful as this is, imagine how much more beautiful it was before sin. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But the Garden of Eden was that pure utopia, that pure paradise that mankind was expelled from. It was a perfect place, a, a pure place. It was a, a amazing. And again, in heaven, there is no curse. Sin will not taint our perspective anymore. So try to remember doing something or tasting something for the first time and the amazement that you experienced with it. The, the guys that went skydiving, it was pretty amazing, wasn't it? Justin, pretty pretty good. David, Billy, nothing like it, right? It's hard to describe. I think Michael's gone before, right? What? Blows your mind. That's why he's ready to go three or four more times, <laughs> to really blow his mind. <laughs> Carmen's going with him, right? Nope, not this time. But imagine that. Uh, how many have ever been snorkeling? Have you ever been snorkeling? It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's crazy, but it's pretty cool. Uh, parasailing. Have I ever been parasailing? I went with my wife, I think, last year in Myrtle Beach. Uh, she about died. Um, I said about. I didn't say you did. What? She did. She fed some fish with her mouth, some stuff that came out. We'll just leave it there. We're not online tonight, so it's okay. Okay. Um, even horseback riding, it's a pretty cool experience. Um, skiing, I know, Brother Allen, you know, you've, you've skied some slopes. Nothing like it, right? Some of the places that you've done, uh, uh, even even biking, right, Billy? I know the, 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 the excitement that there is there, surfing. Um, how many like roller coasters? Anybody like roller coasters? I love roller coasters. Even the excitement of roller coasters. Uh, rem- remember the experience of, now some of you guys have, might have allergies, you might not like this, but... The experience of fresh cut grass. Don't you love that? How many don't like it? All right, well, it's the people in the back anyway. Thank you. Um, Or flowers blooming in the spring. Now, imagine that without the need to take medication. (laughs) No more Claritin. No more Allegra. Isn't that great? Just drink in the aroma, drink in the picture of a cool mountain brook or stream with wildflowers all around you. And imagine the smell after a spring rain. Imagine the mountains and the caves and the valleys, the oceans looking up in the sky to see the galaxies and the stars and the overwhelming sense of the wonder and the awe that you receive. Look, there is so much beauty on this earth right now, but it's all been cursed by sin. So try your best to imagine what it's going to be like when it's not cursed. Imagine taking a bite out of something and realizing you've never tasted anything so delicious before. Imagine what Chick-fil-A and Krispy Kreme are going to be like in heaven. I mean, whoo, right? Let's just talk right there. But finally, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine yourself walking along with a friend, experiencing all this beauty. And there in front of you is someone coming towards you with a big smile on his face. It's your Savior. It's Jesus. He comes to you and he embraces you with a giant hug. You see, this is the moment we have longed for. To be with the one who created us in the place we were created to be. Again, it you can't even put it into words. And as I was preparing this uh, a week or so ago, it's just... Just the emotions that were coming to my mind as I was thinking about these things. And that's... Just a small glimpse of what we get in these final chapters. Again, John can't do it justice. There is so much there that he can't put into words for us. And just a quick survey of Revelation. I'm not going to read them. It's there in your notes. In Revelation 21 and 22, it identifies at least 12 sure promises that we have. But as we close out these last two chapters tonight in chapter 21 and then the next time in chapter 22, what we're going to see is tonight what the character of the city of the New Jerusalem will be like. Three things we're going to look at. First of all, New Jerusalem will be a perfect city, a perfect city. Heaven will be heaven because of Jesus, and we will enjoy him intimately and forever. Here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 14, we are uh, given the the, the description of the glory of the city. I don't have any screen up here tonight, but... The next blank there is the glory of the city. Again, John does his best to describe the beauty, the wonder in this new city. And for the fourth time, he is carried away by the Spirit, this time to a great and high mountain. He gets taken away by one of the seven bold judgment angels and gets shown where we get to live when he sees the new Jerusalem, this holy city. In verse number 10, descending, coming down out of heaven from God. Just the amazing sight that must have been. The New Jerusalem is a great city. It's a holy city, a heavenly city. But remember, a city is not just the buildings. It's the people. So God's glory will be seen and felt for all of eternity in the city. And one of the first and most important characteristics that John noted was its radiant glow. It shone with splendor from God himself because he was in it. Look at verse number, um, uh, where's it at? Wrong chapter. Verse number... Hang on, helps if I'm in the right book and chapter. There it is, um, verse number ten. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of the heaven with glory, or, or from God. Verse number eleven, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious. So the light of the city was you can't even describe the stone. Just if you see this precious stone, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And then goes into in description about some of the gates within the city, but he he, he does his best. The city is clearer than Jasper. It's likened unto a crystal or even an amazing diamond that is flawless. This city has a massive wall, as we see here in the next couple of verses. The city's description follows the pattern of cities in which John's readers would would understand that this city has foundations. It has walls. It has gates. The foundations speak of its permanence in contrast to the tents in which the pilgrims and strangers lived back in the Old Testament days. The walls uh, and gates speak of protection, that God's people will never have to fear any enemies. Angels at the gates will act as sentries. Uh, These walls have 12 gates, which indicate uh, the sign of great access, since there are three in each direction of the compass. Each of these gates contains the names of the twelve tribes of Israel's sons. And then in verse number 14, it describes the wall by noting it has twelve foundations in which are written the twelve names of the Lamb's apostles. This goes back to what uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, where it says that the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, where Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. The next thing we see in verses 15 through 21, if you're taking notes, John then gives the measurements and the magnificence of the city. The angel from verse 9 brings a gold measuring rod or gold measuring stick to come and measure the city. Four square means equal on all sides like a cube. This indicates perfection of the city. And it recalls to the most holy place, the holy of holies, Back in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse number 20, it's 12,000 furlongs, uh, or, or some say uh, a, a stadia. Depending on what you reference, it's either 1,400 or 1,500 square miles. Now, that's just the city. That's pretty ginormous. That's pretty big. And regardless whether the city is fourteen or 1,500 miles in length and width, the, 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 the length of it, the width of it, and the height of it are all the same. This means the New Jerusalem is larger than India with nearly 2 million square miles. These measurements are meant to be literal since they are described by man's measurement. Now, here's just a a thing of note. Even more astounding than the size at the base is the height that is also at least 1,400 miles. So this goes well beyond Earth's atmosphere as we know it, well into space. If a building in the city is this high, It has a generous 12 feet per story. A building could be over 600,000 stories in the New Jerusalem. That'd be a long elevator ride. Or it could be a fast elevator ride. We don't know. You're like, up and down. That'd be cool. Anyway. (laughs) But the wall encasing the city is 144 cubits. That's about 72 yards thick. That's pretty thick. The wall is built of jasper. The city is described as being of... Pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations uh, were adorned with every kind of precious stone. Here here are the stones that we we find referenced here in the next couple of verses. Jasper is a crystal. Sapphire, it's a blue stone. Chalcedony, it's a greenish blue stone. Emerald, like the Emerald City green. Sardonyx, white with uh, streaks of uh, brown and red in it. Sardius, it's a a vibrant red. Uh, Chrysolite, it's like a yellow quartz, like a modern topaz. Beryl, it's a, it's a green color. Jacinth, it's blue. Amethyst, it's a rich purple. Again, just amazing colors within the city. And in ancient times, the, the pearl was considered a royal gem produced by a mollusk covering an irritating grain of sand within its shell. But the pearl gates of this heavenly city will never be closed because there will be no danger on the outside. Nothing will disturb its residents within the city. Next thing we see is this, the new Jerusalem will be like a perfect temple. Not only will it be, as we just mentioned, a perfect city, but it will also be a perfect temple. The city imagery now flows into the temple imagery as the eternal characteristics of the blessings of the holy city are described for us. And John noted that there are some things missing from the city, but their absence only magnified its glory. He shows us some specifics of what won't be in heaven, but also what we see is what will be there. But in verse number 22, we see that this city is characterized by God's presence. Look at verse number 22. And I saw no temple. There's no temple there. Why is there no temple? There doesn't need to be a temple because Jesus is there. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So there's no need for the temple since the entire city will be indwelt by God's presence. The temple represented God's presence in the Old Testament, but believers will now have God's presence within them. And at their fingertips, the Lord and the Lamb are the temple. Verses 23 through 26, this city, it's characterized by God's protection. This temple city is permeated by the Lord's presence and glory. Therefore, the city does not need sun. It doesn't need the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it. And the lamp is its is the lamb. You know, you think about what John said in John chapter 8, verse 12, where uh, the city on a hill, it's like the, the light of the world, uh, will be the light who, or Jesus, the light of the world, will be the light who illuminates this temple city. Verse number 24, it says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. The multi ethnic, multicultural nature of eternity is on beautiful display here in the glorious light of our God. And these nations and governments will all be uh, present in eternity. No darkness, which means no evil, no terror. Indeed, the redeemed from all people groups of the world will bring glory and honor of the nations into it. Verse number 27, we see that this city is characterized by God's purity. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Nothing unclean can enter into this city, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So you think about this earth right now. There's a lot of unclean things within this earth, right? There are a lot of unclean things in this group. I'm one of them, you're one of them. But when we get to heaven, there is nothing that will be defiling. Uh, nothing unclean, we see God's purity on full display, nothing unclean, no one who is detestable, no one who is false or deceitful will enter into this city, Vance Abner once said, there are a lot of questions the Bible doesn't answer about the hereafter, but I think one reason is illustrated by the story of a boy sitting down to a bowl of spinach, where there's a chocolate cake at the end of the table, he's going to have a rough time eating the spinach when his eyes are on the cake, and if the Lord had explained everything to us, what's ours to come, I think we'd have a rough time with the spinach down here. I think he makes a great application. That You think about that. If a kid uh, has to eat certain food, but they see this amazing dessert, these amazing treats, they're going to focus on the treats, right? And sometimes instead of focusing on what God wants us to do on earth, sometimes we can be too focused on, on what is to come instead of focusing on what we need to focus on this earth. And then the last thing, quickly, this new Jerusalem will will be like a perfect garden, a perfect garden. So we have this perfect city, this perfect temple, and now this perfect garden. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 22, John explains the restoration of paradise. You see, up till this chapter, the new Jerusalem seems to be all minerals and no vegetable. Its appearance is as dazzling display of fabulous jewelry in a jewelry store. You think about, is there any soft grass to sit upon, or are there any trees to enjoy? Is there water to drink or food to eat? We see that here on display, and this imagery is drawn from both Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and Ezekiel chapter 47, where we see this image of a garden bracketing the entire Bible, where we have the Garden of Eden. And what we have here are four wonderful blessings that belong to those who live forever in this Eden, this paradise, this pure utopia. Verse number one, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the loaves or the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. First thing we see here is this, that we will be nourished by God himself. A pure river of water of life that flows directly from the throne of God, this pure river seems to be symbolic of the refreshment and sustenance that God provides. Through it, like the city itself, it's probably also a literal river, not just a symbolic river. John is describing the river he saw as bright or as clear as crystal. It was shimmering and sparkling and a stream of unpolluted water. This river uh, belongs directly, and it goes directly from the throne room of God. And this throne evidently stood at the head of the main street of the city. So that looking down this street, the throne appeared to be in the middle. Just an amazing thing. And what we see here is the tree of life. Now picture that on both sides of the river is the tree of life. The heavenly counterpart to the earthly tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. John also saw this tree of life. Now, we remember in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, they lost their access to the tree of life, right? But as we get to heaven, all of heaven will have access to the tree of life on this day. This tree was perpetually uh, um, perpetually uh, producing fruit. It wasn't just seasonal. It was all year. Uh, every month it produced a new fruit. Evidently, the new creation will not have a lunar calendar since there will be no moon, but another type of calendar will define the months. Now, the last phrase is important here, where it says, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This is important. I don't fully understand everything about this, but in some of my reading and commentaries, it kind of made sense. So uh, one of them was Tony Evans, and he says this, why would healing be necessary in the new heaven and the new earth? He says because there is a group of people who have access to this heavenly Jerusalem but who do not live there based on Revelation 21:24 through 26 there is only one group of people left on earth to go into eternity in their physical bodies those who were true to Jesus Christ and served him during the millennial reign they go into eternity after the millennium with physically glorified bodies not spiritually glorified bodies These will make up the nations who do not live in the New Jerusalem but will have access to the city based on the the reference of the gates never being closed. They will need the leaves of the tree for their continued health and well-being. And again, there's more that we can discuss about that, but just a a small picture of the, the significance of that. Verse number three, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. What we see here is that we will worship our God. The curse has been removed. There is no more conflict. Now think about that. We have conflict every day of our lives. We have conflict within our homes and within our marriages. But there is no more conflict in heaven because the curse has finally been removed. The curse is gone that was pronounced in Genesis chapter three. And what we see in Genesis or Revelation twenty two, verse three, is that his servants, God's servants, will serve him forever. That's a great encouragement to us. For in heaven, our service will be perfect. Verse number four, what we see is this. We will see our God. Finally, we will be able to see his face up until this time. Even in the Old Testament, you think about Moses. No one has ever seen the face of God and lived. But in heaven, we can see the face of God. And that's the amazing thing that we see here. Verse number four, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. First, we will see our God and experience perfect fellowship with Him. Second, His name will be on our foreheads and we will enjoy a perfect relationship with Him. Scott Duvall comments on this verse. He says, Now in the whole new holy of holies, the entire priestly community will experience the greatness and the greatest blessing of all. They will see the face of God. Moses was not allowed to see God's face, but only saw His back. But God's people will have all, that have always longed to see the Lord. The old priestly blessing and prayer for the Lord to make his face shine upon us and to turn his face toward us finds its ultimate fulfillment here. God's people will also bear his name, meaning they will belong to him, imitate his character, and live safely in his presence. And then finally, verse number five for tonight, we will not only worship our God, but we will reign with our God. Look, there's no more night. There shall be no more night there, no need of a candle or really a flashlight. There's light, the light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. This verse closes out another phenomenal section before we get to the, the end of the end. The final point that John stresses was the great glory of God that will be illuminated for the whole earth to see. And this is all in fulfillment of God's desire and command that man should rule over his creation back in Genesis chapter 1. But again, there's so much that we have talked about tonight, yet so much we still don't understand. But the point I want to make and point I want to leave you with is the fact that this new Jerusalem, the new heaven, is a majestic place, a glorious place. Uh, Tongue cannot describe it. Eye has never seen it. Has never experienced it. It's not just going to be some boring church service in the sky. It's going to be glorious. You see, we're finally going to be, as I said earlier, we're finally going to be in the place we were created to be with the person we were created to be with. So think about that again. Think about the time that you have been with someone that you love very dearly. And you're taking the walk with them and and you're enjoying life with them. It still pales in comparison to being with Jesus forever. And again, John can't do it justice because it's still to come. And the key truth that we close with tonight is this in eternity, God's people will enjoy perfect fellowship and communion with God in his perfect city. Perfect fellowship and perfect communion. Man, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I can't wait for that day when we look upon his face and There's no more curse, no more chaos, no more sin, but pure peace, perfect peace.